This is episode number 278. How can you serve yourself first so you can serve others? With Robert Toll. Welcome. My name is Oleg Lohid, and this is the Overcoming Odds Podcast, where you get a glimpse into the stories of individuals who have overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving their personal success. This podcast was built by you and for you to help you overcome adversity, suffering, and struggle in achieving your fullest potential. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to make a few quick announcements, first one being in regard to our work and our mission. And that is if our work has had any form of impact in your life, please consider supporting our cause by either making a contribution through our website at overcomingodds.today or leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can find these inspiring and courageous conversations. The second announcement that I wanted to make is in regard to our weekly series called Survive to Thrive, Live the Story You Create. What this is, is a series of conversations that take place every single Friday at 10.45 a.m. Central Time, hosted primarily through LinkedIn and Facebook Live, where we discuss the connection between one's personal narrative and the topic of grief, resilience, gratitude, and many other topics. If this is of interest to you, please consider visiting our website at overcomingodds.today or joining us through LinkedIn or Facebook on any given Friday at 10.45 a.m. Central Time, where you'll be able to share your own insights and your own perspectives as it relates to each and every single conversation. Now, let's get back to the show. Robert, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Oleg. Glad to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Of course. Thank you. Thank you for having a what I call a podcast prior to the podcast during our last conversation where, you know, we probably should have just recorded it at that, <laughs> that given time, but there's, I think there's a time and place for everything, but I'm glad that we're able to connect today and, and have this particular conversation around this concept of service. And one thing in particular that stood out to me from your story and your experiences that you've had in your life is this concept of choosing to serve yourself in order to help others. And I figured that the best way that maybe we can even start this particular conversation is exploring that question to begin with. And that is, when did it make sense to you to serve yourself first before you can be of service to other people? Well, I think um, the concept had been there, Oleg. I mean, you hear people talk about it. You hear people say, keep things in balance, put yourself first. But I have to admit that that really hadn't been my focus. My focus was career achievement. My focus was accomplishing goals for business and those type of things. And it all came to a, a, um, a screeching halt on March 1st of 2018 when I had a seizure um, in the middle of the night, woke up with a police officer at the foot of my bed, and within an hour at the local hospital was told, we can't treat you here because you have a brain tumor. And here's your choice of three hospitals you can go to. And uh, within several days, um, discovered this tumor had been growing probably close to 30 years, the size of a small apple in, in my frontal lobe, and um, had to be removed. There really was no choice. It had to be removed. 
so made the choice and did that, but uh, had just incredible results, miraculous results. There's no other term for it. And walked out of the hospital within several days. And the doctors were stunned. Everyone was to the point where even two or three weeks later, were asking me who dressed myself. And I'm like, I took a shower and dressed myself in the hospital. What are you talking about? But they just don't see results like that. Um, and that was a um, like a lightning bolt striking me of I need to put that. I really do need to put mm -hmm. things in balance. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a, there's a time, there's a reason I'm still here and would like to be able to give back to others more and, and also take care of myself better than I had been. So it was a combination of both. In your case, I'm trying to better understand it because so I'm 28 years old, I'm nearing my, I guess you could say first series of checkups with, you know, the, the doctors and I've been trying to understand, okay, what do I check up on? What, what are the questions that I should be asking in your particular situation? Was this something that you were aware of before or was it, were there no signs, no symptoms of anything? And it kind of just hit you in that moment? Did you, did you have any early signs that this is something that is developing within you? Technically, I did, Oleg. I just didn't put the pieces together because uh, some things you can naturally attribute to aging. So like my eyesight had gotten worse every year. I don't, I barely need to wear glasses now. Hmm, I wonder what was causing the problem with the eyesight. You know, but at the time I got glasses and had, a, you know, needed reading glasses at the same age that my father did. So didn't seem like a big deal. I had... Um, what I thought was nerve damage to my face from an incident at a job you know, with brass knuckles with somebody hitting me in the face. And they told me I might have nerve damage. A year later, I stopped feeling the side of my face. I didn't go check that out because they told me I might have nerve damage. I don't have nerve damage now. Once the tumor was gone, it's better. So there were signs when you look at it in hindsight, but not like, let's take a scan of your brain and take a picture of it. This thing had been slowly growing since 1990, thereabouts. And um, it's fairly rare as a tumor. Um, it's non-cancerous, thank goodness. But I don't know that we would have caught it. I had one incident of a headache a year before that was like, oh, that doesn't feel good. But I rarely ever got headaches. And um, even my father, who was a 40-year physician's assistant starting in the U.S. Army, looked at the images and said, there's no way you were functioning before you had the seizure. Zero. But yet you were functioning and nobody saw a thing. You were traveling the world, working, you know, 12, 14 hour days. He said, but it, I know it's impossible for you to be functioning, but you were. Mm -hmm. So even he said, there's no way you could have diagnosed it. Wow. Yeah, I get curious. And in fact, I was recently asking my parents the same exact question what are the things that I should be aware of? Because, you know, they have a couple of years on me. And so they, they've had some experience when it comes to it, but it's, it, I think it's a similar point. It's that what I, what I've discovered or what I'm discovering, even as we're speaking is this concept of taking responsibility for my own health. And I don't know if this is something that has helped you as well to understand within your own experience, but even when it comes to the doctor's appointments and things like that. I mean, A, those are typically 10 to 15 minutes. And if, if this is a yearly checkup that I do, is it even possible or realistic to do a summary of a whole year in 15 minutes? 
and get a possible diagnosis for whatever the issues might be. So there's, I feel like th there is, um, it's a complicated system to say the list, to say the least. But I think even when it comes to these particular things, it sounds like there's a great degree of individual responsibility that the, per the person must take. That's that's fair. And I, you know, I have a phrase for it. I don't know where I probably stole it from somebody at some point along the line. <laughs> but uh, it's, is you know, there is an aspect that bad patients get better care. So it's something for you to think of and your, your listeners to think of is and it doesn't mean being difficult or yelling and screaming at people, but being the ones that ask the questions that says, no, 15 minutes isn't enough. I need to ask you, here's here's everything. We need to take a few more minutes and go through this stuff. Or in my case, um, my uncle passed away, unfortunately, very, very young from a, um, a burst aorta, uh, an aneurysm of his aorta. And everyone would always talk about how much I looked just like him or was built like him or things like that. Well, I went and I aggressively said, I need you to scan this and check this to make sure it's not a genetic thing that I also have. While about your age, where everyone was saying, no, 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 it's nothing to worry about. I was like, no, I'm not going to have this happen to me. If there's something you can do, if you know about it in advance and had it scanned and had the scan and came back clear, but I pushed for that. So there is in that respect, even, you know, after the brain surgery, I was fairly difficult with people in the hospital to the point of like they had the clock it was during the time change and they didn't reset the clock in the room why this bothered me so much I have no idea but I'm like somebody needs to get in here and change this clock where I'm getting out of bed and I'm going to change it myself and they're like no 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 no, don't get out of bed don't do it we'll, we'll fix it but I was sending the message that you know I am not going to just lay here I am going to fight for this and we're going to work together on this what changed for you after you discovered you had that tumor? I think perspective. I mean, particularly, it's more hindsight sense because everyone was very supportive. My wife, I disagreed with her completely calling my sons and they flew in to support me. Uh, my uh, workmates all were supporting me. In hindsight, I think they all thought I was it was over for me. This thing was that bad. And... Um, you know, accepting that that miracle occurred that, you know, the combination of a, a physician, a surgeon at the height of his game that gave up things personally to stay and do the surgery for me when he didn't have to do that. Um, certainly put it in perspective that I take, you know, the doctor's appointments more seriously than I did. I will admit that I didn't do the every year like I should have and get on a more regular schedule or had a problem with allergies which I hadn't had a problem with allergies since my early 20s. And I went in and I just basically demanded we find a solution and took out all, and they had periodically given me all these different over-the-counter medicines and different recommendations. I took them all in in a Ziploc bag and went, okay, explain this to me. We, it, this, this will not work. We have to find a better solution to this. And they found a better solution to it and we got to the bottom of it. So um, I think being a little more aggressive sounds horrible, but I don't think it's the wrong word. Aggressive about your own health and putting your health for forward. You can't help anybody else if you're not helping yourself. Eating better, doing your better to, to you know, get some exercise, do something other than sit behind a desk, you know, which is very, in consulting, it's very easy to, particularly in the last uh, year and a half, to be at the desk all day and not yeah. stretch and not even stand up and 
that's not a good way to live. Oh, I catch myself doing that all the time. I, I think because, especially because of last year, although I think this is probably year two that we're going on and kind of even forget that part that this is the second year and not necessarily the first, but it's, it, it is, it becomes after a while, it becomes habitual. It does. Especially and I even invested sitting behind the desk, you know, that many hours it's it. I mean, there's a reason why I personally have had back problems and then I have to remind myself that, okay, eight hours on a wooden chair with not the best back support, probably not the best condition. And I think it goes back to your point where how can I possibly serve others if I'm not serving myself in that situation? Right. I bought a better chair versus the one that my son had had in high school that was missing an arm that was worn <laughs> out many, many years ago. I bought a, a, I didn't overindulge, but I bought a better chair. I found a recommendation for one or I bought this headset that's wireless. So if I'm not on video, I can walk around while I'm on calls mm-hmm. and, and go out to the mailbox or walk out in the backyard for a little bit and get a little sun. And all those things make a difference. Do you find that in your case, after you had gone through everything that you had to, and you were able to essentially experience life for, let's say the second time in your case, did, did some of the priorities shift uh, around the goals and achievements and everything that you were striving for prior? Did they remain the same? Like what, what ultimately changed? I know you said perspective is one of those, but were there any, was there anything else? Like, did you start to look at your family differently, your relationships, people who showed up for you during this particular process or not? Yeah, I think, you know, that definitely looked at things differently that way. You know, I can, you know, even to the extent of, you know, me admitting them wrong is a very difficult <laughs> thing for me. Um, and I've done that more times in the last few years than I have my entire life. And, and, you know, even starting with my wife and I was like, I was so against her calling my sons. So against it. And uh, she was absolutely right. And I've admitted to her numerous times that she was right. And um, that's, a, that's a challenge for me. I, I want to, and in positions I've had in leadership, um, there's probably a lesson there too, that embracing your team and being humble and asking for all the ideas, how much stronger are we if all of us are solving the problem versus I have to have all the answers. There's a lesson there. And uh, I've always had aspects of that in my career, but I've gotten better at it. Of, of asking for help from people that work on my team, from people that I work with. I've gotten better at that, of realizing we're better together than any, any individual could be alone. Mm-hmm. Why didn't you want to call your sons? Because it was unknown. At Number one, it was unknown of what the solution was at the time, because she called them almost immediately. And, and, you know, and I was like, we don't know what the solution is. We don't know what the prognosis or the, the diagnosis or what they're going to do. And I wanted that. And the other side is having the um, ego to think that anything I could get through by myself, then I could do it. And I could have a list a mile long here, a leg of things that I've gone through and went, oh, I've, I've four people with brass knuckles and knives and I stood them down and they went to jail and this happened, or I lit myself on fire that time, or this happened, all these different stuff. And I had the ego to think that I was basically unbreakable. Whatever happened, I'd still stand up. And, and there's nothing wrong with thinking you're going to pick yourself up and keep moving forward. But there's, it crosses a line when the ego is there that 
you don't need the support of others. And there's a line there. And I think I definitely crossed the line. I needed to be humbled a bit. Do you find it? So I find it interesting how it experience similar to yours. I haven't experienced anything like that, but I've experienced a fair share of adversity within my own life. And one of the things that I've noticed is that throughout my own, my own life, it is those hardships that actually help me see that line Mm -hmm. oftentimes. And and the, the thing that I've always been curious about is why is it those hardships that help me see the line? Like in your case, why is it that this was the event or this was the moment that helps you see that, okay, there is a fine line between going at things on my own and then asking for help, even in situations where I don't want to ask for help for a variety of reasons. I think, oh, like that the, um, I mean, I have a very, very hard head. Uh, you can even ask the surgeons that had to take me apart and put me back together. Uh, I think it needed to be something very intense for me. And I think each individual is different. I wouldn't uh, presume to know what it would align, what it would be for somebody. But for me, um, it was actually before the surgery. They went in the day before to try to cut off the blood supply to the tumor. That would make it easier. So put me under anesthesia briefly to try to um, cut off the blood supply and it didn't work. And I knew that I woke up back in the, back in the room. They said, eh, it didn't work. We'll just have to go in and do it the way we need to. And I went, okay, well, we tried right before they were taking me back for surgery the next mornings with my sons there and my wife, they went, Oh, by the way, we need you to, sh- would it be okay if we shave your beard? And I went, Okay. Uh, why they went well we lost you yesterday when we were trying to cut off the blood supply to the tumor and we couldn't get the oxygen mask to work right with your beard so if it'd be all right with you can we shave your beard and i'm like yeah it'd be all right (laughs) but at the same time it's a good (laughs) trade-off yeah i'm like i'll take that the beard for some oxygen (laughs) the beard will grow back um, but I was also incredibly angered, frustrated, everything. I'm like in, in front of my sons, in front of my wife, like you didn't tell me last night. Mm-hmm. If nothing else, I could have shaved my own beard. Then I mean, I would have been in art beat shaving that beard. <laughs> no question. But instead, you know, I, I jokingly, and it's probably a bad joke, say that I was unconscious during the worst parts of all of it. Mm-hmm. But the truth is I was unconscious during the worst parts of it. Mm-hmm. My wife, my kids, my family, my friends all had to be awake during all of it. So I was really frustrated that they exposed them to that type of fear and apprehension when it could have been handled differently. But I think that really did, you know, the good part of it is it got through my thick skull, literally, and, you know, um, and also, you know, from a getting the message through to me that, you know, you are not perfect. You know, you are at risk here. You can't just overcome something like that. Even for something as minor as having a beard could have been the end of my life. But um, that was a, a good start at getting me humbled and straightened out a little bit. Do you think in their case, though, in regard to your family and them seeing and experiencing all of it the way that they did, did it deepen your guys' relationship afterwards? I think it did. I think it did. Um, in a lot of ways, 
a lot of ways. I think it probably put more fear in my wife Mm -hmm. than I ever would have wanted to, um, because we had only been married for six months when this went on. So when you talk about sickness and health, that's, um, she got a little more of the sickness than we were bargaining for. It's one thing to sign up for that, but it's another thing to face that within six months. That's a very Um, different version of a honeymoon. It is. It is. (laughs) Uh, And, and she was right there for me all the way through, but um, she meant it when she said it, you know, so uh, I give her, give her all the credit in the world for that. But, um, and I think for my sons, it was challenging. It's deepened the relationship in some ways but it's also made sure that they can stand on their own two feet. They're, you know, a touch younger than you, but not mm-hmm. by far mm-hmm. type of thing. So they've realized a lot of, they need to be there and stand on their own two feet and pursue their dreams. And um, even led to my, my oldest son changing is in the midst of a career change of what he's doing for his life. And I think that may have put some of that in perspective of doing what he wanted to do. Mm-hmm. versus just necessarily what he he has a lot of different gifts and he followed one of those gifts but he didn't really like it what he was doing and so now he's pursuing something that he likes to do which is That's a good awesome. thing do you fear death at this point i fear not getting things done that i want to get done before that that's different than death. Death comes for every one of us. Mm-hmm. I don't fear death, but I want to get things done. I want to share what I want with, with those around me. I want to help other people. I want to uh, make sure those around me are taken care of. And, you know, that's the part I fear is not having my um, everything in order beforehand. Mm-hmm. But um, I've had the goal. I still haven't let go of the goal. When I was a kid, um, lived in Germany uh, with my family in West Germany at the time, during the bicentennial of the United States. Mm. And I saw all the images of what went on over here in the U.S. and the celebrations and the fireworks and the boats and the, everything else. And I felt like I missed out. So I set the goal then that I wanted to be around for the tricentennial. So that's only 107 that I have to make it to to, to get to that <laughs> point. So I still haven't let that one go of um, sticking around to see the tricentennial so it's interesting that you mentioned that because i'm sitting here and thinking about kind of my own experience when when it comes to fear and and death in particular and I, i i share a similar thing i think it's wanting to help people so much and also wanting to help myself just discover all these elements about the world or who i am and i i think if anything it it's time Time is really the only thing that I could think of that could prevent many of those things from happening. And it's just, it's just, um, for me, it's an interesting dilemma that I probably go through on a daily basis. And that's really just trying to understand that is how much time do you have? And there's no way of knowing the answer. No, there's this not. This could be the last breath. You could have many more. And it, it's just, and then as part of that, it's also very difficult to, figure out what ultimately contributes to it. You know, I, I think like some could assume that it's good health, good physical, mental health, and or reading all the books or consuming the right uh, food, waking up early, all these other things. But at the end of the day, I think the one thing that I, 
at least I try to remind myself of, and I don't know if it's any different for you, but there is no ultimate answer. It's a fair point. Oh, like it really is because you can do all those things right. And then still something can happen. So the key is do the right things as much as you can. And to me also set goals and look forward to things. So for me, I've had the goal forever of going to all 50 states in the US. And that goal has been put on hold with our experience over the last you know year and a half plus with COVID, but I have two left to get to all 50. So it's like, it's going to happen. So it's those type of things and that may be a silly goal in some ways, but setting those goals and those aspirations in whatever they work, whatever works for you is a good thing. There's a lot of places I'd like to see in Europe that I haven't yet seen. Uh, you know, haven't been to Africa yet. Would love to do that. A lot of, lot of other places, you know, love, love tr my travels in India, have had the multiple 10-year visas to be able to go and travel and uh, work in India. And um, love, love it, love it uh, going over there, although there's terrific poverty, horrible poverty, but there's also this optimism and growth that's very uh, engaging in the country that's um, sort of like what I would imagine the wild west was like here in the U.S. of the new frontier of what you can change and do and accomplish which is invigorating mm -hmm. to me. What about travel do you think excites you the most or, or makes you feel alive? I think it's keeping the perspective that there's more out there that you don't know that you know, you're not the center of the universe or where you live isn't the center of the universe. And some people fall into that trap. And I did so much growing up in a military family that you were always looking forward because if not, you'd be miserable because you liked the place you used to be and you'd be miserable because you weren't there anymore. And my parents did a real good job of keeping us looking forward. Um, and, uh, you know, you know, I absolutely love Texas, for example. Texas, I've lived there four different times in my life. Lots of different cities in Texas. But there is a little bit of element of there is more to Texas, more than just Texas in the world. And there's a little attitude that sometimes gets on my nerves because it's a great place. Love it. Absolutely love Texas. But there is more than Texas. Just like there's more than the United States where people in the United States can be very, that's all there is. And it's a great place. It's a great country, but there is a lot more and there's a lot of other great places and great opportunities out there. Mm -hmm. Well, I think it also goes to kind of the topic of the conversation that you and I have had today. And it's this concept of change is going to happen with or without us. And we never know what that type of change is going to be or when it's going to come or how it's going to even take place. I, I find myself in similar spots where in previous chapters of my life, I was so tied to a specific location or a specific experience or a specific person. And then I had to realize, I realized after over however many years, it took me to learn that, that be, all of those things are temporary. Mm -hmm. People are temporary, places are temporary. And that concept of home, at least for me, and I don't know how it is for you, but I found that that concept of home for me could be found almost anywhere I go. And, and someone had said this uh, brilliantly two or three weeks ago, I was having a conversation with them and they said that um, your home is where your heart is. Mm -hmm. And I remember in that moment, I was like, that is so true because it's not, it, for me at least, it's really not the physical location. 
I loved Austin. I loved being there. But at the same time, moving to Ann Arbor for about a month or so and spending some time with my parents now, like this is also home. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that I'll be able to find other elements like that when I go and travel the world to some of these other places. So I, I think it's going back to how you started the conversation. It's change is inevitable. It is. It is. And I remember, I mean, I've lived, I've never lived the same place twice. And I'm still got an average of about once every three years in a different place. Was that intentional? No. Well, not necessarily. As a child, my dad, it was dictated by the, the military moving you. So it wasn't intentional in that respect, other than him signing up to be in the military. And at the early stage of his career, you move a lot more. Um, and then it just sort of happened with, with job change. I would get very bored with where I was working and look for that next opportunity. And whether that was a different place, I had no fear of living a different place. So if it was moved to Arizona from Austin or north of Austin, I was fine with it. And if it was six weeks later, they said, we need you to go to Austin and take over an operation for us. I was like, okay, sounds good. And I moved right back again. And it was, it was, you know, when a year later moved back to Arizona again. So, um, so I, I wouldn't say it's without choice on my part as an adult, but sometimes such things come along and I'm open to them. Um, you know, and I recently, as you know, I recently wrote a book that's about to be published and, uh, one of the things that struck me as a child, we were in Switzerland looking out over the Alps, and I talk about this in the book, and beautiful scenery, unbelievable scenery. I was about seven years old, and the gentleman next to me is like, yeah, you know, that's not bad, but it sure doesn't beat the, the green grass of Kentucky. And I remember looking over at like seven years old going, what is wrong with you? I'm not putting down Kentucky. Kentucky's a beautiful place. Love it. I've lived there a bit myself, but it was like, what is wrong with you? And you know what? I've never been back to Switzerland since then. I got, I still have the image in my head of what it looked like. I enjoyed it then. You could, you're going to go back to Kentucky again sometime if you want to go back, but enjoy where you are now, not look, look backwards. And it was ingrained in me enough by the time I was seven years old, that it was like, what is wrong with you? I didn't say it to the adult, thankfully, but I was, I thought it that enjoy where you're at right now. What, you know, what is wrong? This is an incredible view, an incredible place to be. And, and you're basically getting to see it for free on the back of the uh, US military moving you around the world. It's not even costing you anything to go see it. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit more about the book. Why did you write it to begin with? Um, the idea was part of giving back all the things that I'd been through, the stories, um, the experiences in lots of different companies and lots of organizations, both working with entrepreneurs uh, in, in the starting of their businesses and helping get them to the next level with major companies and helping improve them in larger organizations and finding a way to share those um, nuggets and experiences, the things that I'd learned with others, you know, so maybe they could get where they want to get faster. They can have ideas, avoid some of the pain and the mistakes that I've made because I've made lots of them and if that could help them out uh, that inspired me to do it I um, had the idea in my head for a while but after the brain surgery it became I want to share these ideas and tried for about six months and didn't get very far Oleg to tell you the truth and the interesting thing is that um, once I found a, a connecting theme 
which was actually music, which was different songs and aspects of songs and themes from songs to tie the book together with different chapters. And once I did that, the bulk of the book just flowed very, very naturally, very quickly to be a substantial, you know, 175 page book about these things. But it was an interesting mix of tying together a comment my dad made to me when I was a child. I was a, you know, 13 year old. Uh, mom wanted him to give me advice before going to school. And he just looked up over his coffee and says, yeah, don't be dumb. Is this a dumb thing that I'm doing right now? But then the music, my mom was a music teacher. And so I, it somehow tied together dad's comments and mom's influence on me in the way of music into the, the DNA of the book, so to speak. Hmm. And where can people find it? Uh, it'll be available on Amazon. It uh, should be right at the, we're aiming at the 14th of October okay. on Amazon. Amazon. And then outside of that, do you have anything else that's coming up? Any other ways that people can connect with you and learn more about your background they, and your story? They certainly can. Um, I have a website for my consulting business, which is 636advisors.com. Uh, and uh, there's more of my background and some of my clients and experiences there, as well as they could put in a um, request to contact me. If they do that, they can also get a discount on the book. Didn't give them a discount code for that, but I'm also happy to, to give a free consultation, have some conversation with folks if there's ways we can help. Uh, I'm not a scarcity type of individual. So if I can help somebody else with things or offer an idea to, then if I can help further from there, we can talk about it down the road, but happy to have any, any conversation that folks want. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. If you haven't done so already, please consider subscribing to our future episodes so you can receive all of the latest content. Also, if you like what you heard, consider leaving us a review on iTunes, Facebook, or Google so more people can find these inspiring and courageous conversations. Once again, we thank you for listening and we'll look forward to having you next time.